Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you live from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. Must be the first Monday of the month because it's time for helping behaviorally challenging students, and this is the last program for this school year. We are going to take a break, as we always do, over the summer and start up again in September. I am joined, at least for now, by Carol Davison out in British Columbia. How are you, Carol? I am very well. How are you? I am well. And I think we also have been joined by Tom Ambrose, unless this is Nina. Who do we got? It's Nina. Hi, Nina. I'm sorry to have made that mistake. That's okay. Um, I think Tom is joining us as well, and I'm not sure about Susan. How are you both? Great, thank you. Good. Um, We've got a bunch of email that we need to respond to today, but do either of you have anything you want to start the program with before we jump into the very interesting issues that are raised by and questions that people would like us to answer in the uh, mailbag? Anything going on in your schools that you want us to know about? Anything. Tell us. Well, I don't know if Susan's going to be coming on, but I know that if she does, she'll be able to talk about this a bit more. But she and uh, the counselor from her former school uh, made a presentation on uh, CPS to our uh, school counselors at a meeting last month. So it sounds like our our school district is um, really looking at um, spreading awareness and understanding of the process and um, putting it in the toolkit of all of our school counselors throughout our whole district, which is 100 elementary schools and 20 high schools. Fabulous. Oh. That's great. Nina, I don't think your school district has 100 schools. <laughs> no. That's a lot of schools. No, we have five schools. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> a little different. Yep. Absolutely. We do have 100 total schools in Maine, but... Not in South Berwick. <laughs> no, <laughs> exactly. A little bit different. Um, well, that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, things do seem to be spreading. We have now been joined by Tom. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am well. Anything you'd like to tell us about what's going on in your building these days? Any issues you want to raise? We can jump into the mailbag anytime we want to. What's on your mind today? Um, is there? A, I didn't catch the first part of the show. Are there other people on right now? 
We have Nina and Carol on with us as well. Awesome. And I don't know if we're getting Susan today or not. So I, I had a question for Nina and Carol or, or for you two, Ross, just for the group, that, that uh, I have noticed lately that in education there's kind of starting to become a buzz or conversations about, which I'm very happy about, about balance between academics and social and emotional and uh, some grave concerns about um, standardized testing and their impact on teaching and learning. It was, my interest was really piqued this weekend when I learned that Nancy Atwell had won a $1 million prize for her work mm -hmm. at the Center for Teaching and Learning in Maine. Yep. And and then she was interviewed and said, don't go into education <laughs> because of the standardized testing and, and grade-level benchmarking and that all the work that she's done is to say that developing children's creativity and curiosity is uh, more important than these standards. And I just want to mention that this ties into collaborative and proactive solutions because I truly believe that the empathy step is um a critical component for creativity to exist in any organization, let alone a school. So if you can feel empathized with by someone else or you can work in a team and feel like your voice will be heard without being um, shut down, even if you're, you're not, um, quote, right, um, it, 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 gives a, 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 it opens the door to way bigger things that I won't go into right now that I think about with this model. But I just want to throw that out there because I think it's an important conversation. No, I agree with you, Tom. And I mean, I've I've always felt, to be honest, a little bit smug sitting up here in British Columbia, where we've had um, standards for social, uh, personal and social development for years, and you know, descriptors of attainment, and they are very highly valued right alongside other core academics. Um, we we are entering a time in British Columbia of some changes on our political educational frontier. And some people are worried that it's not all for the better. So despite this long history and, and um, tradition of developing the whole child, there seems to be a little bit of worry that, that more standardization, um, that, that, that there might be a different agenda on the horizon. There's not, been nothing specific. And, and to be honest, our curriculum still is very, um, it's very emphatic about the importance of developing personal and social skills and identity and, and competencies right alongside, you know, tr traditional core academic competencies. But there is a little bit of a, a niggling worry that, that perhaps the standardization trend may start to leak in a bit more. So it's kind of a wait and see right now. No, I, I agree that I think I've heard, you know, more and, and have hope about just that importance of the social-emotional learning. And I think, um, you know, in our district, we've been recently collaborating with the school board talking about long-term planning and one of the major goals that came from that is student voice which was just really exciting for me because CPS is all about student voice and it was not just about social emotional but academic in every aspect of school so I'm just really excited and hopeful with that because I think it's a the student voice platform is it's, it's what CPS is and and goes through every subject area and every part of you know, a child's day. I was kind of thinking too about the uh, responsive classroom work and the the, mm -hmm. the idea that you know building a sense of community is critical, and it isn't something that just happens during a 20-minute morning meeting. That the philosophy of 
of uh, responsive classroom permeates the entire day. You know, the engaging academics component, the uh, uh, developmental awareness. And, and I think one term that's been thrown around too a lot lately is, uh, Ross, I think you'll appreciate this, it's the difference between data-driven instruction and data-informed. Um, so information from, from data, what a student can do, is important. But I, I, I still think that there's a, a big piece of this work with um, CPS where we can infuse the problem-solving model um, into the daily life of kids, um, even in a small situation, you know, I noticed that you're struggling on this math problem, or, or I noticed that it took you a while to, to do this, or I noticed that you were trying really hard, you know, and, and uh, um, let, let's look together at how we can figure out what happened with this problem. That's probably the best language, right, because it's all about process and growth. Um, but that's still empathy, right? Like, how, how are you thinking about this? And then saying, well, I noticed or observed, and then let's, how can we figure it out together? I just, I just want to throw it out there that I still feel like there's a, a huge piece of this work, because it's our last program. There's a huge piece of this work where it could be used much more frequently on a daily basis if we could get in the habit of it. Right, and not just for, uh, not just saved for the most challenging situations. Yeah, why isn't it for everybody? Right, right. Or it is for everybody. A, it's an approach and instead of a a system yeah. for just the most challenging. Because I, I absolutely agree. And once you start thinking that way and change your lens, it's you know it is how you approach sort of everything. Mm-hmm. Well, it goes back to Nani. You kind of get good. At, we get good at what we do, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So if we if we were solving problems proactively and collaboratively all the time, all day, when you get to a challenging kid, wouldn't it be easier? Exactly. To, to Definitely. Just, and the, the language and everything that you're practicing and modeling for other children and other staff and other parents and adults, I just, it is, it's just how you becomes just what you do instead of a, right. something that you need to kind of switch gears or you're not switching gears with, okay, this is a challenging child, so I'm going to switch gears here. It's just how you approach children or adults. You know, what's interesting is you guys are bringing up a a question that came up. There's a new um, lost and found group on Facebook for people who are using CPS, and the lost and found group is for educators to share things in terms of collaborative and proactive solutions and have a, have a forum for discussions outside of, our, of this type of um, conversation. And one of the questions was, how do we find time for the collaborative and proactive, especially the proactive solutions, to be happening? And I think what you're saying right now is that it becomes, at the beginning, when you're first learning the process, it can be a bit like an event. Like, okay, I'm going to have a a proactive solution with a conversation with, you know, uh, Christina, and so I need to book a time, and I need someone to cover my class, I need to prepare, and you know, come up with all the questions I'm going to ask and and frame my question. And then as you become more skilled, I think, and it does start to permeate just your whole view of people, whether it's students, parents, staff, whoever, um, it just becomes part of your conversational toolkit for talking to people. And yep. it doesn't need to be such a, an event, and you don't need to make mm-hmm. um, a specific, you know, I have my... CPS block that teachers can sign up for if they need to meet with a student and I'll cover classes. Like it just becomes much more organic, but yep. it does take time and skill with the with the process. I love that that point. That yeah, it kind of. Do you do you think that 
to I find that when I'm in like the best groove, so to speak, with with the day, that kind of certain elements of collaborative and proactive solutions are just happening with who who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. So I had a, a teacher bring me a pretty big concern the other day, and of course, you know, I just listened a lot and listened and listened, and then kind of summarized and listened some more, and and then reflected it all back. And I don't know about you, the two of you, but sometimes that's really hard to do when things are really crazy when you're running a school <laughs> <laughs> or a classroom, you know. Yeah. And, well, and because so it does I think take that, some time, yeah. Yeah, it does take some time, but it also takes like a mental presence, doesn't it? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Not looking over your shoulder or out your window thinking, what's what's going to come next? Right. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. the other piece, too, one time I was working with a tough kid, and I ha- was lucky Ross happened to be here. And I'll never forget this lesson. Ross said, I never get frustrated, I get curious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get curious about what makes this situation t- um, happen or what's going on for this person. And I think that that's really important because that's where I think Ross gets his pre- his creativity and his playfulness about the model. He's able to kind of shut off the rest of his life and just, like, think about the person. And I do think that that's a skill that you can develop over time. And, Ross, if you'd like to speak to that, I'd love to hear what you have to say because you are very good at it. Mm-hmm. Well, I've done it 10,000 times. And so, um, and I bring up this analogy sometimes in the same way that um, football players going from the college to the pros say that the game sped up on them when they get to the pros. And then sometime during their second or third year, they say that the game is starting to slow down for them. Um, CPS has slowed down for me so that I have so many plan Bs under my belt and have listened to so many people's plan Bs and observed so many people's plan Bs that the whole thing is extremely comfortable at this point and... The good news is I know that if we apply certain ingredients and do it pretty well, we're going to get a solution to this that everybody's going to be good with. And that is a confidence that pervades my work every time I'm sitting down with folks to do plan B. And they might be screaming at each other in the beginning, and it may be a really difficult unsolved problem. That's a lot of different angles to it. Um, and yet 10,000 Plan Bs later, um, I'm extremely optimistic about the outcome. And that's very calming because I know that if we just flesh out the kids' concerns well enough, flesh out the adults' concerns well enough, and really give thought to whether this is a realistic and mutually satisfactory solution, right. Um, right. we're going to get there. That's that's a really important point, isn't it, Ross? That the I, I remember one time you said that it's really hard to – to uh, to know if both people's concerns are truly on the table. So they may think that they're putting the concerns on the table, but there may or they may be conscious of it that they don't dare to share their concerns. That there's a level of trust or or just a lack of self-awareness, which happens to all of us. But I, I think that this that that lends itself to this idea that this this model of working with people is um uh could be used in a managerial way. It could be used in a a greater organization way. I just see so many more avenues for this work to increase pr- productivity and creativity for all people, not just for helping families and kids. Well, Let there be no doubt. It's such an honest approach. Too. It's such an honest way to to work with people, just yeah. in general. And I, you know, you, you can spend so much time in meetings and and things without a child's voice or out, without another person's, whoever's involved, voice. And you realize you're just making these strategies for things that are 
just not honest for the child. It just feels like you're sometimes it just feels like you're trying to think of things that can trick them into doing what you want them to do instead of this very honest approach of working with kids. And as I was just saying that to someone today, like instead of, you know, it's, it's that your concerns are are valid too, just as much as the child. So it's not that, um, it just feels so genuine and such a nice way to approach anyone. Yep. So while we're, while and, we're on the know, topic, you guys have made oh, me think of, well, when we get to it, if we can, I actually could use a bit of advice on a student that I'm working with right now. So Go you finish it. up your, your point, and then I'll tell you a little bit. Uh, my only point was that um, I'm, I am sometimes unencumbered by time pressure, by, you know, um, I'm bending over backwards to set the stage for us to be doing Plan B proactively. And I can't emphasize how important that is because that gives us the space and the breathing room to really be able to listen to the kid and to really be able to listen to the concerns of the other person, the adult frequently, and to really give thought to solutions. Um, you know, on our last program, the, the subject was how come we don't do CPS in every school? And, you know, we all had our reasons, but... Um, one of the things I'm bending over backwards to do is carve out the time. And I think that's a crucial prerequisite for people to start getting comfortable in using the model. Um, and it's great, Tom, back to what you started the program with today, that, that people are talking more about social and emotional learning instead of just mm. the curriculum. Because one of the time pressures that's one of the things that's always nagging at people in schools is if I do this, am I taking time away from the thing that the legislature and my superintendent are telling me that I must do and the basis on which my job performance will be judged? Mm -hmm. um, it sure would be nice if we could get around to basing some percentage of a classroom's teacher's job performance on how that teacher is doing with the behaviorally challenging ones because that would justify carving out the time to work on it. Well, and I think that, that the my question, I would kind of flip the question back. Why, how could you not do collaborative and proactive solutions? Mm -hmm. How could you not work collaboratively or, or work... I mean, I know how it happens. It happens in top-down mandates. Do this or else. But my point is... At what point would you judge the legislature based on job creation, growth, and, and uh, <laughs> you know, are, are we going to fail teachers but not fail the legislature for not, not paying for schools? Mm -hmm. I, I think that the, 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 the gist of this all is that in order for any of us to get to, the, to a solution that's going to help our country, which ultimately education is the only profession that affects every other profession. Mm -hmm. If you don't have school, you don't have doctors, lawyers, musicians, artists, anybody. That, and and that, doesn't, that also includes folks who come and pick up the trash. I mean, we need everyone in our society is valuable. And I really truly believe that schools, schools are the, if we don't have good schools, our society is going to really face some incredible challenges. And so I just wonder sometimes if, uh, um, you know, accountability is important, but people are more important. 
Well, my only concern is that if we go with that mentality, we're still going to have trouble keeping up with the Finns. And um, I'm joking. Oh, oh, you were joking. I wasn't sure. (laughs) Because the reality is people talk about Finnish education so much in public schools these days that they just don't get down to the fact that when you look at who they educate, it's a really different population. Well, it's a whole different culture of... Yeah. Not just ethnic culture, but just culture of education and culture right. of society. Completely and that's different. what I want to see. Yeah. 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 Carol, let's help you out with your kid. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I know that with this student, I've done some things wrong. So straight up front to anyone listening, uh, yeah, I know, that I, I know that I've done a lot of some things wrong with this student. So that's why I'm coming to uh, my network here to see if you can help guide me back onto the right path. So... Um, the student uh, just moved into the school in, the, uh, in about October, um, and right away we saw some, some challenging behaviors, disruptive in the classroom, kind of um, very needing, trying to get a lot of attention from peers in negative ways and things like that. And um, we've had some, some good discussions with the parents, and uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in that domain as well. So. What's going on with me here? I've, I've just, um, I'm asking the teacher to uh, sit down with me and do an all-sup, but I know that a couple of weeks ago, he just was on a, a vacation, actually, and he just came back. Um, and our last interaction before he left, he pushed my buttons pretty good. He's a good button pusher, and, uh, and I lost my cool with him. And so I feel like I need some advice on how to go about resetting repairing like I didn't have a super strong relationship with him before um it was tenuous I guess you would say like I was attempting to um you know interact with him in a lot of non-confrontational ways just on a daily basis just to let him know that um you know I see him as a person and not just a problem um but things things left off pretty pretty ugly and um and he's going to be coming back in about a week and um, you know, we are going to be doing some hopefully proactive conversations. Um, but yeah, just some advice on how do you go about kind of uh, resetting things when it's gone wrong, when it's gone bad. Uh, did you get frustrated yeah. with him? Yeah, Tom, I could say you could say I got a little frustrated with him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's important. Damage assessment, right? Like how how yeah. hard was it? Because and just remember, you're human. Don't beat yourself yeah, up no, for this. It was, no, it was no. It's not that I'm beating myself up because I know, um, okay. you know, uh, there. Th- it was after a particularly difficult behavioral incident, and it was there was kind of a team meeting happening, um, and he, you know, I started off, you know, trying to be empathetic and and asking him, you know, what's going on for you, and kind of the what's up thing, and um, the problem was that at you know, after an escalation of a lot of things, he had um, just walked away from school one day and with another student. They're, in, they're 11, 12 years old, so not little children, but definitely not safe for them to be not at school when they're supposed to be. So um, when we, you know, his parents were quite frantic throughout the day not knowing where he was and our school mm-hmm. protocol was, was activated in terms of missing students, you know, with police looking yep. for them and everything. So when we when we sat back down together after they'd been found and the parents were in the room and some of our other school staff and the student was accusing his parents of not caring about him and I you know I'd been on the phone with them throughout the day and knew how worried they were and um, 
you know, I got really, really quite angry with him for for daring to suggest that his parents didn't care, or that, or that mm-hmm. none of us adults cared about him after all the anxiety and worry that we'd gone through right. that day. So, <laughs> well, I can understand. Yeah, yeah totally. Goodness. That's that's a day of total fear for you. Right. So goodness. But I Thank think, you for you know, your honesty. It gives us an opportunity yeah. to talk to you, Nina. You just want yeah. to mention that. You know that that's really yeah. nice that you brought that up this publicly and everything. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I've I've been running through different scenarios in my head. So scenario one, uh, you know, not scenario one, but one one way to approach it, I'm thinking, would be to, um, to start off by acknowledging my mistake and and trying mm-hmm. to to model that you can. Because one of the concerns that we have for the student is he has a really hard time taking responsibility for his actions or yep. even admitting that he did something. Um, so to me, that modeling is important, but I don't know if I necessarily want to start right off with that or start by, I don't know, I'm at a bit of a loss. You know, it reminds me, um, I have a, we have a recording of a Plan B conversation from a child who's now in fifth grade, but it's from a first grade. Um, it was when we were doing all of our training with Kim, and we we taped this conversation, and it was so similar to a teacher um, felt like she had really kind of messed up the day before and (laughs) it was a different way different situation than than yours but um just that she felt she had kind of installed some fear in him when she Mm. didn't want didn't that wasn't she was regretting it so in this in this tape that i was we were just listening to actually a, a little bit ago um sending it to the for an article and um you know she opened up this conversation so honest just like you're saying, and, and apologizing, and just being just being honest, like you're saying, and to the child, and being able to say, um, you know, just the reason, and that she, and it was it allowed him to then just really open up and mm-hmm. share his concerns. So I think that's just one approach that, at, for that moment, it really did that total honesty of, wow, yeah. I was just so scared, and sometimes <laughs> when you're sometimes. that scared. <laughs> You, yeah. you know, we all do that. And I don't know. Yeah. That was just—it just reminds me of that, that recording. Mm-hmm. That you know, did allow the other child to really. And children yeah. so are so forgiving and so understanding, more understanding than. Yeah. What's, yeah, what's hard? With, what's hard with the student is that he's pretty closed off. Like he's one of the few students that I've that I've done some proactive solution conversations with, some Plan B conversations where. You you really get stuck on the, I don't know, or or you're presenting your concern. It's like yeah, okay, fine, and it's really hard to to get at what's really the truth. And I sometimes mm-hmm. I wonder if the student even knows. Like we know that when we do conversations, and kids often will say, I don't know. Sometimes they really don't know, and it's up to us to kind of help them realize mm-hmm. what it is that's going on. And and I feel like it's a level of skill that I'm. It's really stretching my. You know, I haven't done ten thousand Plan B conversations. <laughs> I don't even know if I've done a thousand, but um, you know. But it's. I feel like I'm. It's. A, I'm a bit out of my depth. Let's put it that way. Right. Well, maybe just even, even you just expressing that feeling that you're that you are feeling and kind of summarizing that meeting, and then that's it for that. You know, it doesn't go into a full Plan B, but just you able to say, "Wow, I've been. This has been bothering me, and I wanted to tell you." And or yeah, I think being in, genuine, genuine is yeah. always. As you know, I'm I'm not saying anything that you don't. I don't want to be, <laughs> you know, accidentally condescending in any way. I I, I was just simply no, no. thinking that sometimes when we're scared or nervous, it's hard to be genuine. Mm, and, absolutely. And sometimes it's it's 
it's good to get into a space where you can say, you know, I'm, I'm just, I really feel bad, and I would like yep. you to forgive me. And if you can't right now, I understand, but I'm still here to help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then see you where think, it goes from this, there. And I'm being totally, I'm just, just really want to know what you think. Like, um, do you feel like in some situations with certain kids that that going to that, like, you know, I'd like you to forgive me, and if you get, like, it, I, I'm a, I'm a bit concerned about giving this student too much power, though. Well, like, I, I, think I, can, I want to be can, cautious. I wouldn't even if you want to leave off the forgive and just say, I'm just letting you know this has been bothering me, and I wish I had um, said something a little differently. I was just really worried about you. You know, and just, right. that's still, you know, that's saying how you really feel, and I think that you never know what those words, even he might not show you for a while, but mm. I, I think when you're able to, when you're modeling that for a child, it, I mean, it might not be even this school year or next you know, that you see it, but I don't right. think those are, I think kids hold on to those and never forget yeah. words like that. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> mm. But I think, too, that, that sometimes when we make a mistake, it does create an, a natural um, vulnerability for us to say to people that we're sorry, yeah, because then yeah. it puts the emotional ball back in their court, yeah. which I think is well, something Well, I, I am sorry, but you know yeah. what I mean about, about the power side of it, where you know, if kids feel like, oh, I can then, you know, and I, I'm not buying into the idea that this student is, you know, intentionally manipulating, but, but sometimes kids learn from experience. So, yeah. But I think I, I, I know what you mean about you've got to create that, demonstrate, like it's modeling, like we talk about Plan B conversations is all about modeling and teaching skills through the experience of the conversation. And so I want to do that with this student because I really feel like he has a lot of, of lagging skills in terms of just his own empathy and his own ability to deal with emotional sensations that um, there's a lot of work to do. But I, don't, I feel like I've set it back and I want to try to get it rolling again. Definitely. Well, I think you will because yeah. I, that is, that can't, that'll, that, that's the scariest feeling to feel you know, I can't imagine your day that day. So no. I, I, you, know, you can absolutely yeah. get and that one back. Thing and when you're a parent, you'll understand how scary this is. Exactly. <laughs> like, I'm 11. I don't really care. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. Well, and that's that's my question, is I think it's fine to say you're sorry to a kid. And I don't mm-hmm. think that that gives the kid power, Um, I think that's you letting the kid know that you um, feel like you weren't at your best, and um, you're acknowledging that. But, um, and I think that's all well and good, but I don't think that's going to be your main ingredient. Not that you're saying that it is, but I don't think that's going to be your main ingredient because... um, what I'm still hearing through all of the fog is this kid is still not communicating very well about right. what's going on in there. Mm-hmm. We still need to see the kid through the prism of lagging skills right. so that we have the big picture. We still need to get the conversation going with a specific unsolved problem rather than on something really global. Otherwise, we will make it harder for the kid 
to reveal himself. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think your best moving forward, your best hope is to be able to say at some point, I feel like I know him pretty well now. Mm. That's your best. Right. Because your and your apology is not going to do that for you. Once again, I no. think the apology is great, but an apology is not going to help you know him better. Right. So if you ask me two words that, and I was thinking this, it, it's a little complicated because he hasn't been very forthcoming. But if you ask me the two words that I think are going to give me the greatest optimism, that we know him well, and that we're going to be able to make headway on the unsolved problems that had you and him um, conducting yourselves in ways that neither of you feels good about. The two words are empathy step. Mm-hmm. we got to get to know this kid. Otherwise, there's going to be a lot of surprises left and a lot of bad moments left, and it's in bad moments that people do things that they aren't proud of. Um, right. So, you know, I get well, I'm it. I'm definitely going to have my cheat sheet in front of me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Good. That's a great um, but great I idea. think that don't underestimate the importance of starting with a very specific, not global, yeah. unsolved problem. Because yeah. even though you want to talk with this student about everything, the way you get there is by talking with the student about something very specific. Um, mm-hmm. That's what opens. That's what helps open the gate. Start too global, the gate often stays closed. Start specific, the gate opens, and you get a lot of what you were looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, those are my two words to lend to the discussion. Empathy, mm-hmm. step. <laughs> Empathy mm-hmm. and step. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what's interesting is is after um, this incident where they weren't at school, um, his parents came by and dropped off apology letters that he had written for myself and for the teacher. And he has a, a closer relationship with his teacher. His teacher um, is, he, you know, the type of teacher who really gets kids. So the, it's interesting because the letter that he wrote me was much more formal and seemed, um, you know, more like, oh, my parents made me write a letter. Um, the one for his teacher was more conversational in tone, so that made me feel like it was more genuine. But for both of us, he said, if you ask me why I did what I did, I just really don't know. Hmm. And I can't I can't say. And so that's why I'm wondering like maybe he just doesn't really know that that self-awareness or that ability to analyze his own feelings and actions is a, definitely a skill that he's struggling with. So we are going to sit down and do uh a really detailed ALSA, the teacher and I um this week before he comes back and I think I think I'm going to really pay attention to making sure we get a very, 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 very specific unsolved problem that we're going to prioritize to start with to help us get through. We still have two months of school, so I um, want to try and make it as productive for everyone as we can. Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, as you were saying, he doesn't know why he did what he did. If you, when, when I, I find that when we talk with kids about what they did, the um, anticipated responses, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. But That's if the anticipated response. What they were thinking or what they were feeling. Or if we're asking them about the unsolved problem that caused them to do what they did, right. then you're going to hear a right. lot more. 
Mm-hmm. Right, if we know what that is. <laughs> if we know what that is, yeah. No, thank you, thank you. I know we haven't left much time for email, but it's like Carol's email today. <laughs> That's okay. They'll, uh, you know what? They um, thank you. They tend to keep. Um, <laughs> but here we go. This is this is relevant. All right, should, should we turn our attention to one or two of these? Sure. Yes, please. Sure. Here we go. This one says hi. Can you give me a little bit more detail about how to carry out emergency plan B? For some reason, I seem to be a bit hazy about how it works. I am a primary music teacher and see each class for half an hour a week. The time constraints in a half-hour lesson and starting at a new school and meeting new behaviors mean I need to be a little bit more ready for the sudden appearance of behaviors needing plan B. I have started using CPS in the last couple of months. I have read The Explosive Child and Lost at School. Thanks for your help. What do you all think? Is this, um, well, this is a question about emergency plan B, but could also be a question about something else. Anybody want to take this one on? Hmm. Uh, I think maybe they could work with somebody to help them do some proactive plan B where, it, you know, can narrow down or start with a student that's displaying some challenging, some challenging behavior that they could partner up with the teacher or an administrator or a counselor to find some time. I know special schedules are very crazy, and that half-hour turnover is so difficult. But maybe somebody could give them some some release time to and to start with one child for some proactive plan B. Anybody else? I'm I'm curious. I mean, in my experience, um, children who are 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 having difficulties in one context in school um, may also be having similar difficulties in other contexts. So whether the the classroom teacher or in the lunchroom or during PE or or is this student experiencing difficulties? in other venues, and, and I think that needs to be kind of tying into what Nina is saying, needing to connect with the classroom teachers to see what is going on for these students and providing some information in doing the ALSOP if, if it's if, whether it's within just the music class or whether it's um, across different times of the day. Yeah, but I think it is so easy. It's so important to include all the, the adults that are working with the kids, and I think sometimes due to time, special specialists can get kind of left out, which I know you know I can do too, and I including special teachers in you know some sort of team meeting or including them in lsip um meetings is just so valuable. they have so much insight, and I think it's we forget about that sometimes because it's it's it they do have such a hard schedule, but it's so important they have such an important voice where they see everybody in the whole school and special teachers just have so much to add. I think that the uh the uh um the biggest thing is it goes back to being, you know, collaborative and proactive solutions. So if you can start to track data about when these um emergency plan B situations are occurring and then you look at if there were any um pre existing circumstances, any themes it might help to may help you to choose to prioritize on the ALSA because it's really important. I, I did learn one thing from a, a, 
a behavior analyst that I worked with that I thought was really helpful. And Ross, I'm assuming this is just obvious to you in your background, but it, it was good for me to think about what happened 30 seconds before the event, what happened a minute, what happened a minute and a half, what happened two minutes. And there may not be a theme in there, but it's just worth taking a look at. And uh, I do think if you start to see trends, um, the biggest trend that I see on a typical scale, K to 12, is transitions. Right. You see exactly. kids go into sixth grade and have six different teachers or four or five different teachers every day from fifth grade, and all of a sudden transitions are a problem, and they weren't a problem before. Well, they had the same teacher all day, and they walked to specials with their class. Right. So there might be um, hidden unsolved problems that aren't really like bubbling to the surface, that all of a sudden bubble to the surface. I do think that thinking that way is really important for middle school administrators and guidance counselors to recognize in teachers, all staff, that, that as kids leave elementary school and go to a middle school schedule, the bump might cause some things to come up with having different teachers and transitions. And again, between 8th and ninth grade, and again, between 11th and 12th, especially if there are college classes available in 12th grade or, not, or 11th grade. Because they're so demanding just, different skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're demanding different skills that may be lagging, but were un, not as pronounced earlier on in their lives. I mean, really, elementary schools that are run well are like little resource rooms. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you're doing responsive classroom, you have an engaging curriculum, you have developmental awareness, kids are active and engaged all day, and they're learning and growing, and then all of a sudden, here's your planner, move from class to class. It's your responsibility to keep track of it all. Right. Exactly. Off you go. The, the only thing I will... <laughs> Add to the discussion is that the biggest complaint I hear from specials teachers, art, music, yeah. sometimes phys ed, is that they feel that they are completely out of the loop mm-hmm. on yep. the students in their classes because they are frequently not included in the discussion about those students. And so they feel like they are um, dealing with these kids um, blindfolded because they don't know anything about them frequently and haven't been included in the um, discussion. makes it extremely hard for them to be proactive. It right, is. And, if not, and if they're not aware of the plan, the solutions, that's even more of a setup if you're not letting them know what the solutions are to the problems that are working in the classroom to transfer into the, the specials areas. I think where that that's where that editable all-sub comes in, but each school, I'm finding, Ross, as we worked on it, they have to set it up on their own. Because then you can see the all sub in the plan. And share it, yeah, with everyone. Share it, yeah. I mean, I made a document; and it works, but it was hard for Ross and I to share it to everybody. Yep. But that's where the specialist—they get an email that says, "Hey, this all sub's been edited, and this is who's working on the plan B for this kid." That's great. And that—that's what needs to happen in schools to help, especially when you have team teaching, like four teachers at a middle school. Yeah. That are working with one child, or even more importantly, at the high school because they're not on teams. A lot of people don't realize that teaming came from a high school that was a progressive high school, and then it was put into middle schools. But teaming would not be a bad idea for some high schools. Hmm. That's another whole conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of whole other conversations, there's one other email we're going to do. And if you guys don't mind, I'm going to take the first crack at this one because we only have a few minutes left. But this one's been in the mailbag since November. It says... I would like to hear your views on physical restraint. I am an advisory teacher in the United Kingdom. Yes, we have people all over the world who listen to this program, (laughs) who advises on support for children in school to avoid exclusion. 
I completely go along with all the ideas in your two books. However, my colleagues challenge my view that physical restraint should be avoided, as they say it is like a parent holding the child and is somehow therapeutic. Mm. I feel this is a dangerous message to school staff who don't seem to need much reason to get hold of children and have at least two adults holding them down. Many thanks. So, you guys okay with me responding? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Physical restraint is not therapeutic. There is no such thing as a therapeutic hold. Most physical restraints are acts of desperation in response to behaviors that are caused by highly predictable, unsolved problems. Is physical restraint needed every once in a blue moon? Yes. But is most under most circumstances, that's when physical restraint is being used. Not once every blue moon, but in response to behaviors that are caused by highly predictable, unsolved problems. I wish we had time for you three to weigh in, but I wanted to get that in. Maybe I'll save that for further discussion for the beginning of next school year. Would that be good? I'd love to talk about this. I would love to as well. (laughs) Maybe maybe ask that person because they had to wait for so long. Send them over to the Lost and Found part of Facebook and we can answer. We can talk more there. Great. Thank you all for your diligence this year. Talk to you next year. Thank you. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.